0: Welcome back to Love Letters and Mixtapes. I am so glad you're here. This podcast explores all the things that our younger selves needed to hear, whether that was 30 years ago, three years ago, or yesterday. After you listen to this episode, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite listening platform. You can also find me on Instagram and TikTok at Love Letters and Mixtapes. This week, I wanted to have a discussion about the myth that time heals all wounds. Now, we have all heard that saying, and when we are the person who has harmed someone else, this is an incredibly convenient way of looking at the world. But when we ourselves have been harmed, time actually doesn't heal those wounds. In fact, it can really exacerbate them. It can extend them to other areas of our lives, and it can really shape our world view. So in today's discussion, I would like to look at that myth that time is the universal healer, that it's this passive thing that we can rest into, and maybe look at it from a different perspective. What if time is actually harming things? And what can I do instead? To begin with, I think it can be really helpful to honor our unique and individual experiences with harm and to understand that when we are engaged in a relationship with someone, we see ourselves, we hear ourselves, we experience ourselves very differently than they do. That makes perfect sense. And that goes for all of us. We walk through the world, we think of ourselves in a certain light, and we are perceived differently by different people. And with that foundation, we develop the ability to reflect on how we've engaged with people, how they have received us, how they have responded to us, and what could we have done differently. Now reflecting on our actions, our thoughts, our words, is never easy. So I don't want to gloss over it and act like it's this thing that we are all really great at navigating and we do it so well and we have all this muscle memory. In fact, I think it's quite the opposite. It's almost as if we are encouraged in this culture to double down when we have made a mistake or caused harm. And that doubling down energy is almost brute force that we bring to a relationship. And it's this idea that if we can bully the other person into silence, then we were right. Now, I'm not saying that that's healthy or good. I am saying it's common. And we see it so often when we're arguing with a loved one or even a friend or at a larger scale when people are in conflict around the world. And there is a refusal to take a look at what we have brought to the situation for fear of what? For fear of seeming weak? For fear of being wrong? For fear of being harmed ourselves? So right there, we already have an issue that we have to reflect on and begin working on. Can we assess what we bring to situations? Can we reflect on things? And yes, we all think, of course I can, but when was the last time you engaged in that type of a practice? How often do you check in with yourself at the end of the day and say, what did I bring to situations? How generous was I? How kind? How helpful? How honest? And I know that for so many of us, we do that in moments of crisis or heightened conflict, And we obsess about what has happened, but there's a big difference between engaging in this practice on a regular basis and developing that trust in yourself and seeing where you brought your strengths and your positive qualities and aren't just looking for those really heightened moments. And I do think that's important because we begin to know ourselves and trust ourselves If I ask myself every night, was I honest, was I helpful, was I kind? Nine times out of ten, I'll be able to close my eyes knowing I was all of those things. But if the only time I check in with myself is when I might have done something wrong, how quick will I be to try to alleviate my own suffering and discomfort and push that away and immediately reach for justifications or some kind of reason why it was warranted or why I wasn't as bad as the other person or why it's all their fault or whatever the get out of jail free card is for me in that moment. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. So to begin with, it's about knowing ourselves and trusting ourselves. Knowing what we do in certain situations, which lines we would never cross. What is our go-to tool in conflict. And then we take a look at what we have been taught about conflict resolution and reconciliation. What were we shown or taught in our home of origin, in our family, in our friend groups, in our community? What was the feeling around apologies or making amends? A really popular practice that I've seen in the last few years is this idea of stepping away from anything that does not serve us. And I think that the intention behind that saying is actually pretty positive, right? It's about identifying and maintaining our boundaries, understanding our worth, not feeling like we have to convince other people to like or love or respect us. I get that. But at what point does something we use for survival then prevent us from thriving? That's something we talk about a lot on this podcast. So at what point does that cutting off behavior prevent us from developing conflict resolution skills? At what point does it prevent us from deepening our compassion and showing up in our wholeness? At what point does that prevent us from the art of reconciliation, getting back into right relationship with people and seeing and trusting the benefit of that and the discernment that comes from knowing when we do not need to do that any longer? I encourage you to pause right now and reflect on your understanding of reconciliation What does it look like? What does it sound like? What does it feel like? And I think there's this assumption that we all think reconciliation is the same thing. But as we go deeper and we reflect on our own habits, our patterns, what we were taught, what we do pretty unconsciously, we'll realize that everyone has a different concept of it. For me, reconciliation in its highest form is about two or more people Rising to the occasion, not one person shirking responsibility and another person debasing themselves or lowering their standards to just fix a situation, leaving a gaping wound of hurt feelings and broken emotions and resentment. So, reconciliation, in my view, is about us elevating a little bit, stretching, trying to heal a relationship. By bringing out our best qualities and recognizing that in another person, not asking them to be less than, or to dull their senses, or to separate themselves from their intuition and discernment. I also think that reconciliation and conflict resolution, like so many things in our lives, requires us to sit with our discomfort, to get to know our discomfort. To understand and discern why we feel a certain way, why we react a certain way, why we take certain actions, why we feel so comfortable doing certain things that we wouldn't do in another situation. Crossing our own boundaries, maybe crossing someone else's boundaries, and sitting with that information. Embracing the stillness when something inside of us is telling us to look in another direction or move in another direction or distract ourselves or don't pay attention to this because it's really uncomfortable or I don't like this about myself so I'm going to push it away. What happens when we welcome that and we sit with it and we call it by its right name and we're not running from it, we're not trying to pretend it's something else? What information comes up for us then? And I think that big emotions are very informative, but they can also be blinding. And so when we are in conflict, whether we have caused harm or someone has harmed us, those emotions come up. And if we are unprepared to navigate them, to sit with them, they can overwhelm us so easily. And they can tell us a story that may or may not be true and what actions and thoughts and feelings Generate out of that story. So I encourage you to develop a habit of asking yourself questions, especially when you have those big emotions. Asking yourself, what does this feel like? Can I name my feelings right now? Where does it show up in my body? Am I feeling a tightness in my chest, queasiness in my stomach? Am I feeling that my hands are clenched and my back is tight and my jaw is set? How is it showing up physically? Can I think of something in my history, whether it's recent or very far in my past, that this situation reminds me of? And what about this situation is reminding me of that? Is it the person, the language, the setting, the feeling, the connection, the denial? What about what's happening right now? is reminding me of that. Have I experienced something similar? What did I feel back then? What is the story that I tell myself about that past experience? And how is that past experience informing my present thoughts and actions and reactivity, or even my resistance? How is my past and my story informing my present. And finally, what does it feel like when I reflect on all of this? Do I feel self-righteous? Do I feel proud? Do I feel sad? Am I angry? Am I ashamed? Do I feel that I have to apologize, but I'm fearful about apologizing? Am I afraid of being weak? Am I afraid of being taken advantage of? Am I afraid of being seen in a different light? And maybe checking in with those fears and where they originate. Is it fear based on the fact that I have been unkind to people in my own life when they have made a mistake or they have caused harm? Have I lashed out at them? Have I weaponized it? Have I used it against them? Have I nursed a resentment? Have I delighted in justified anger? These are all things to ask ourselves about how we're showing up now. Exploring these questions within ourselves is so powerful and so important, but it's also just the first step because true healing doesn't really happen in isolation. So how does this work in community and how is isolation preventing us from reflecting on these things? And this does not make us bad or wrong. The impulse to isolate when we are in conflict or we are ashamed or we are afraid makes perfect sense. But here is where community can be so helpful and healing. Because when someone doesn't weaponize things against us and they don't shame us and they can listen, they can help us process what has actually happened and what is my part in it. Because so often when we isolate and we keep these things to ourselves, they kind of spin out of control. Either we become the martyr, the victim, the hero, and to step away from those roles and to come back to a position of neutrality where we can reflect on everything we brought to the situation, everything the other person brought, and all the things we could have done differently. When we do that with another person, it just sounds different. How often have you told yourself a story in your head and when you tried to share it out loud, it was received very differently? Or this other person heard something in the story that you missed when you were going in a loop by yourself, perseverating on it, having your little speeches and practicing over and over and over again, trying to get your point across. But when you shared it with someone else, they ask you that question that creates a pause a space, a breath, a moment of grace and reflection. That is so powerful, and so much healing happens in connection. Isolating can be very helpful. I'm not minimizing it. I tend to do it a lot, but it can exacerbate our emotional wounds, and it can distort our perspective. It can also reinforce the idea that this damage cannot be repaired if we're just going on a loop in our heads But when we put it in the sunlight and we put it in front of another person, solution enters the discussion. So if time doesn't heal all wounds, what does heal? That's an important question. I have always felt that there was powerful healing in apologies and making amends. And our concept of apologies and amends are also very distorted and we so rarely reflect on them. They can almost be this automatic thing to remove discomfort from our lives. We just want to get through it. We don't want to pay too much attention. We don't want to spend too much time. We want to mumble our apology and move on. And if someone can't accept it, that's their problem. So what if we took a step back and looked at how we actually bring conflict resolution, reconciliation, apologies, and amends to situations? What does that sound like? What have apologies sounded like in your life? Who was the first person to apologize to you? Who was the last person? And what did they sound like? What words did they use? What feelings did that apology bring up within you? And how does that impact your resistance or your willingness to lead with apologies and amends today? I can absolutely understand someone growing up in a situation where every apology sounded like, oh, I'm so sorry you felt that way. Get over it. And it didn't feel good. It felt dismissive. It felt rushed. It almost felt like you'd rather not have the apology to begin with. And I can see that taking root within us and as adults moving through the world thinking, well, I don't want to sound like that, so I won't say anything. Or maybe you were told to just fix it, make it better. Just kiss and make up. No one cares about the truth. No one cares about anyone's feelings. Just put a band-aid on it. And as adults, we've seen that putting a band-aid on a bullet hole doesn't really help. Maybe you had the opposite experience. Maybe you experienced heartfelt apologies and changed behavior. What did that feel like in your life? How did that transform your relationships? And how did it impact your perspective? I myself like to keep my apologies to almost a formula. And the reason I do that is because the muscle memory is there. I am not starting from scratch every time I think I may have harmed someone. And it's not difficult for me to access those words. And it also doesn't feel like I'm sacrificing anything because my intention is to come back into right relationship with the other person, to reconcile, to heal, to offer some emotional freedom. It's pretty straightforward. It sounds like this. I'm sorry. Here's my understanding of how I hurt you. I will never do that again. Here's how I'm going to make this right. Have I harmed you in ways that I am not aware of? Please forgive me. And moving through an apology and amends process with that language, with that intention, can be really challenging even for the person who is receiving the apology, sometimes more so than me, because I have practiced those words. I have practiced apologies and making things right. But we never know if the other person has never experienced that before. and a heartfelt apology, an amends process, an inquiry into, is there anything else I've done that I'm not aware of? That wanting of clarity for both you and the other person can almost seem like acid on someone's skin because it's so new and it feels like it can't be trusted. Or it feels like it's an invitation to an emotional space that that person has not entered lately. And I say that so we don't make the excuse to ourselves when our apologies and amends are not received perfectly. I think that's a really important point, which is why I am stressing it, the belief That someone else has to be a graceful recipient of our apology and amends is asking too much. It is a distorted expectation. And it really isn't in alignment with compassion and open-heartedness. It's very controlling. So if you find yourself doing that, if you find yourself apologizing and then immediately pivoting into resentment because the other person did not receive it perfectly, there's something to look at there. It's an invitation to look at what is my intention, what is my impact, what is my need for instant gratification, and can I allow other people to process their thoughts and feelings on their own time? Can I sit with that discomfort? Can I allow them to process what has happened? And while my apology may come spilling out of my mouth in 60 seconds flat, how long did I allow that hurt, that anger, that sadness, that resentment to fester? How long did I put that burden on another person? And then in a moment I decide to apologize and I think everything needs to be fixed If I can take time coming to an awareness of my part in a situation, then another person can take their time coming to right relationship with me and my apology. And that discomfort of allowing those feelings to unfold in their natural rhythm, that reveals so much. It allows a lot to come to the surface. Because underlying all of these things, there may have been grief. Someone could be grieving their perception of us, grieving the relationship they had with us, their trust, their feeling of safety, their experience of being seen and heard and understood. We may have broken that. And so allowing people to grieve the relationship they thought they had with us is incredibly important. So the purpose of this episode is not so that we all finish and turn on the people in our lives who say things that are really simplistic like time heals all wounds. We don't want to weaponize our knowledge or our experience. That's not the point. The point is to live that way. Live by attraction, not promotion. And when I move through the world this way, I am a powerful teacher to the people around me, and people feel safe with me, that they can come to me, apologize, make those amends, because they've watched me do it. This is not an emotional get-rich-quick scheme. It is not an aha moment, a snap of the fingers. This is investing in emotional bank accounts, investing in our relationships with our apologies, of which we have an abundance. If you have caused some recent wounds, have done some damage in relationships, or maybe are ashamed of how you've shown up or communicated, I encourage you to reflect, check in with yourself. Where were you dishonest? Where were you lacking in generosity? Where did you lack compassion? And what could you have done to heal the situation? And I'm not saying it's easy. In a recent episode, I said something along the lines of, it's a lot easier to eat crow when it's warm. I know that it is very challenging to make an apology and an amends when time has passed. But that doesn't absolve us from it. That doesn't heal anything. And if we respect ourselves, our relationships, and other people we can take the steps to heal the harm we have caused. And while that crow may not be as easy to digest, we can probably still do it. So I would very much encourage that. The reflection, the action, the stillness, the sitting with discernment, and the recognition that there are tools out there that you haven't accessed. I hope that this episode resonated with you. I hope you felt seen and heard and feel like you're walking away with one or two tools that you didn't have when you hit play. And if this episode did resonate with you, I would encourage you to share it with one person in your life who is navigating that process of reflecting on their behavior, apologizing and making amends. And my highest intention is that this episode creates conversation for the two of you so that you can begin working on it in your own lives. And until next time, make sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform. Please take a moment to like, rate, and review this podcast. And thank you for listening to Love Letters and Mixtapes.